Well, good morning. Uh, as we uh, just prepare to uh, take a look in God's word uh, this morning, maybe we, let's just open uh, this time as well uh, with some prayer, if you will. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, we just come before you right now. God, we're grateful for the opportunities already that you've given us this morning. Uh, God, thank you for just inviting us into your presence. God, thank you for establishing the truth of your word. Uh, God, that allows us uh, to go and to know you, uh, to understand who you are, uh, to understand your plan for us, uh, to draw us into a closer relationship. And so, God, we just pray that you would guide our time this morning, uh, that you would speak through your word. Uh, God, that our hearts would be open and receptive. Um, you know, we, we all have areas that uh, we need to grow in, that we need to uh, make corrections in that we need to be encouraged with. And so, God, we just pray for your spirit to be among us and uh, to work in and through what you have for us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I am thankful uh, to be able to continue along in our uh, study this week. And uh, we, once again, are going to be exploring what true spirituality is. And we've been in this now for a few weeks. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can uh, flip open to Romans chapter 12. We're kind of uh, going through Romans 12 a little bit and paralleling that to some examples that we see uh, in the lives of some people in the Old Testament. And so we're going to do that again uh, this morning. We're in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 through 13. But let me just kind of give a little bit of a recap. You know, when we think about what true spirituality is, uh, there's so much of how we approach that oftentimes uh, that is in what we do. Uh, it becomes about attending church. It becomes about reading the Bible and praying. It becomes about, um, you know, just sort of checking the, the list of things that we think are these expectations. And so when we consider this question of what does it mean to be spiritual, then it's easy for all of us to just say, well, here's the list of things that I do. And yet what we see in Romans chapter 12 is that true spirituality is not as much about tasks as it is about relationship. That really the measure of our spirituality is not what do we do for God, but it is what is the condition of our relationships. And I think it's interesting that when Paul talks about this, he has an order to how he talks about the transformational work that happens in relationships. See, knowing Christ and being in personal relationship with Christ is much more than just kind of following the rules. It's much more than just showing up on Sunday mornings, but it involves a transformation of our hearts that then transforms relationships. And that begins with our relationship with God. When we come to Christ and we put our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins and we receive the gift of eternal life by faith, then there is a transformation that takes place, not just in terms of our eternal destiny and being in heaven with Christ, but in the here and now, there is a transformation that takes place in our hearts. And it allows us to see God for who he is, as our true heavenly father. And as our relationship with our Father becomes more and more clear, it, it causes us to realize that we have to surrender everything that we are to Him. And 
In that surrender, we can have our hearts aligned with Christ. And so we talk about this idea of being desperate before the Lord, that he calls us to himself and we have to be desperate for him, willing to surrender everything to him. Uh, But then in the next couple of weeks, we've also looked at the other relationships. Paul goes and he looks at the relationship that we have to the world or the, the world system, if you will. And he talks about how we have to separate ourselves from the world system. And then he talks about the relationship that we have with ourselves, how we view ourselves. We looked at that last week and how it's important that we have this sober self-assessment that when we rightly see who God is and we rightly see who we are, then it will encourage us to surrender everything and it will allow our relationships to be transformed. And, And I think it's important that we see the digression in this is that when we have a right relationship with Christ that it directly impacts the relationship that we're going to have with the world. And when we rightly see the separation that is needed between the Father and the world, then it kind of exposes, it casts a light on our own condition. And it helps us to see ourselves for who we truly are. This morning as we continue in Romans chapter 12, there's a shift now and he begins to look at the relationships that we have with other believers in Christ. And it's this idea of being called to serve in love. And this isn't really a new concept or a new idea in church and something that we talk about and teach on often, the importance of serving one another, to love one another. And the way that we love one another is through acts of service. It's how we relate to one another. But You know, I think that it's important to note in this that when we think about this this morning in terms of how we love one another, how we serve one another, notice again the progression of this. Because serving other one another is important in a church especially. But a lot of times, it doesn't always go real well, does it? You know, it'd be nice if relationships in a church context were always perfect, wouldn't it? But sometimes they're not. And sometimes there's breakdowns. And, and sometimes we have rough edges in our relationships. And, and here's what I would sort of encourage us to think about this morning is that there's a reason for that. There's a reason that Paul goes in the order that he's going in. That we have to have a right relationship before God. And we have to have a right understanding of ourselves. We, we have to separate the sin that is in the world around us, the sin that exists in our lives, and to begin to view ourselves as not perfect people, but people that are declared righteous by Christ. And when we have a right perspective about who we are and about who God is, and the sin issues in our lives, then we can love and serve other people well. Think about this. A lot of times when there's breakdowns in your relationships, why is it? It's because of sin and a false understanding, a false perception of myself. It's my own fears. It's my own insecurities. It's my own faults that get in the way of being able to rightly love other people. And so there's an important sequence to this that when we get the first things right, then it allows us to love others well. It allows us to serve others rightly. 
And really, when we begin to put ourselves ahead of Christ, when we begin to let sin infiltrate our lives, or when we have a false view of ourselves that is either too high or too low, that is ultimately what causes a breakdown in the relationships that we have with others. And so all of these things Paul knits together in Romans chapter 12. And so let's read this section together as we sort of think through what true spirituality is. Because Paul talks about how important it is for us to have authentic community. Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 13 says this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And so here's this neat passage that Paul gives us. And he talks about the importance of community, that we would be devoted to one another, to give preference to one another, contribute to the needs of one another. And so what does authentic community really mean? What does it call for in terms of our lives? How do we engage in authentic community? Here's my question for you this morning is, do you think that you are currently engaged in authentic communal relationships? Now, don't say that out loud. Don't answer out loud. But what do you think? How are you doing? If you were to sort of evaluate, how are you doing in building authentic communal relationships? And maybe that is harder than what we would want to acknowledge. One of the great epidemics of our day and age is the issue of loneliness. Several years back, Marla Paul uh, wrote an article in the Chicago Tribune, uh, Chicago Tribune. It's newspapers used to be a thing. <laughs> um, but she talked about her struggle with her inability to sustain friendships. I, I wonder how many for us this morning can resonate with that. That it can be a struggle to sustain relationships. It's hard. Relationships are hard. Relationships are messy. Relationships are problematic. And so sometimes it can be very hard to sustain relationships. And this is what Marla Paul said. She said, I often feel like I am standing outside looking through the window of a party to which I am not invited. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. You know, sometimes it's easy for introverts to kind of feel excluded or out of touch in terms of relationships but believe it or not even for extroverts it can feel like you're disconnected and disengaged and on the outside looking in she said sometimes it's easier to give up and to accept disconnectedness as a dark and unshakable companion but that's not the companion I want and so I will persevere and that's really what Paul is encouraging us is to persevere in authentic community. Robert Putnam uh, had a classic book called Bowling Alone. And this is what he concluded. He said, loneliness is the new epidemic in American culture. And what's interesting about that is that he wrote that before the COVID pandemic. 
And if you do a little bit of research, you'll see uh, a lot of studies coming out of COVID where we see the rise of this issue of loneliness, of disconnectedness into this, you know, this problem of relationships, being able to connect with other people. Less than 10% of all the men in America have a true best friend, another man that they can really share life with. Uh, we have had several years over the last decade where we have seen more people commit suicide than there were homicides in America. And I think when we take a look inward and we look at the church, unfortunately across America and often around the world, in the place where God has specifically uh, designed for authentic community, it really isn't happening. People walk into a room, they sing some songs, they sit down, they listen, they get up, and they walk out all alone. And we call it church. And it is the great experience of the majority of Americans. One of the things I'm thankful for here at Riverside is that I think we sort of buck that trend a little bit. And it seems like that there are good, authentic relationships and people uh, enjoy sticking around and talking. And, and we want to encourage that and, and maybe just let you know that you are welcome to do that, that you are welcome to, to hang out and to talk and to just build relationships on Sunday mornings and beyond. But loneliness is a problem. And maybe it's a problem that is hidden deep within your heart that you don't ever talk to anybody about. Maybe loneliness is a problem that you feel just within certain settings and certain groups. But it's an issue that God wants to address. It's an issue that God wants to even bring healing and life to. And as believers, the primary way that God wants to demonstrate his love and to uh, establish himself, his presence in our lives, is through his word and through his people. It's through authentic community. And so we want to look at this in terms of the life of David and Jonathan. And so I'm going to ask you to do this again. Take your Bibles and flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And I want to share with you some thoughts out of the life, but specifically the relationship between Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David modeled how to experience authentic community. I think that they set a model for this. Let me give you a little bit of a background. You know David as King David. You know that his life started as David the shepherd boy. David was called by God at an early age to eventually take the throne of Saul. Uh, and on his road to doing so, uh, David had many challenges where he exhibited great trust and dependency in God. And we saw that, of course, in the story of David and Goliath. And that and many other uh, victories that David had brought him to a place where he became a national hero. And David was a great musician on top of that. And so for these reasons, Saul invites him into his courtyard, into his palace to live. And in this place, David meets and becomes friends with uh, Saul's son, Jonathan. And we see out of their relationship uh, seven essentials 
for authentic community, for biblical community that I want to go through together. Because what we see is that God knit their souls together. Now, I don't have time to go into all of this, and it's not really the purpose of my message, but uh, there are people who want to sort of twist the relationship to say that David and Jonathan had some type of homosexual relationship. And let me just say to that really quickly that biblically, there's just no way that that argument would stand, that that logic would stand. There are many different factors that play into that. Uh, There are many better understandings of scripture. It it really is contextually um, just just a, a twisting of scripture to try to force it to say those things. And if you want to have that conversation, I'd love to be able to have that conversation with you maybe uh, at a later time. Like I said, it's not really the point of what I'm doing today, but I just want to sort of say that and put that out there. What we see with Jonathan and David is a biblically authentic relationship. Two people that in their relationship with God love one another and support one another in a way that really is a model for how you and I ought to love one another as fellow believers. And so 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 2, let me walk through us. I'm going to give us seven essentials for biblical community for us to just sort of think about and consider that are pulled right out of the relationship between Jonathan and David. 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting in verses 1 and 2, we see the first essential. It says this, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul... The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And so, like I said, David is brought into the house of Saul, and right away, God knits their souls together. There's nothing sexual or romantic about this. This is about two people coming together and finding a common bond of faith in their God. This is about two people coming together and uh, just reaching a deep and meaningful relationship that really is going to be unpacked in the next couple of chapters. And so here's the first essential for us to think about is that we need to be aware of our relationships. Be aware of the people that are around us. God orchestrates circumstances and chemistry. Do you believe that God brings certain people into your lives that he desires to knit your soul together? That he desires for you to find deep and loving relationship with? And God is constantly bringing people in and out of our lives. And his desire is for us to have authentic community. And sometimes it just means that we need to be open and to be aware and to pay attention to the people that are coming into our lives. It was an unlikely friendship, really, that they had. David was a shepherd and he, it was not a very you know, high-class job. And he was the youngest boy of all of the sons of his family. And so David was in the low, low rung of the social structure of his day. And Jonathan is a prince, and he's going to become the next king. At least that's what everybody was anticipating. That's what everybody was thinking was going to happen. 
They were two very different people headed on two very different paths. They had two very different families and came from very different uh, backgrounds. And yet God brought them together. He orchestrated the events of their lives to bring them together for a purpose of meaningful relationship. Sometimes we might miss the greatest people that God puts in our lives because we have an unconscious filter of the kind of people that we would really connect with. God might bring you the very best friend that you would ever have from some other socioeconomic or ethnic or age background. And so it's our responsibility to be open to the people that we have that God brings into our lives and to not be dismissive. And what's the reality? The reality is that we all have an unconscious social box. And in our unconscious social box, some people get in and other people get left out. And we are accustomed to love people that we are, are, that we are like. We are accustomed to connecting with people that are like us. But David and Jonathan were very different in terms of social status. And sometimes the people that God wants to bring into our lives might be totally different from us. And yet God brings them into our lives for a purpose. And so we want to be aware. Well, jump back into 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3. There's another principle that we see here. It says in verse 3, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. He loved him as his own soul. Here's the second principle. is not only do we need to be aware, but we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional. Isn't this true? We will rarely drift into authentic community. It is rare that you will just sort of accidentally fall into deep community with another person. Most of the time, it takes intentionality. It takes work. It takes sacrifice. It takes effort. We have to be intentional. Jonathan does this. He takes initiative. He makes a covenant with David. Later it says that he sealed the pact by giving him his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. You know, there's a, there's a whole message just in that verse that we could talk about. But he is laying aside his power, his prestige, his position, and he's saying, David, I want you to know that I'm going to put all of that aside and I am committing to you. And I want us to be on even terms. And David, I want to be your friend. And listen as he actually verbalizes it. For us men, sometimes that's hard to do, right? When's the last time a man said, hey, I want to be your friend? You know, it's a hard thing to do. But he was intentional. He verbalized it. He made a point for it. He set a goal and he sought to carry it out with David. Making deep friendships has to be a priority. We need to have an intentional pursuit and an intentional commitment. Now, a lot of times when we think about commitment, we think about marriage, right? We think about marriage. That's my commitment. And, you know, that's what I need to focus on. But listen, there is value to having commitment in our relationships with others as well. We ought to have a commitment to other believers, 
a commitment to the body of Christ. And again, this is about relationship. I'm not saying that your commitment needs to be, you know, to show up on Sunday every morning or to show up to every Bible study. And maybe that's part of the commitment, but the commitment is to engage in depth with another soul. And so Jonathan does this with David. And of course, as the story continues along, David becomes more and more famous as he wins these battles. He continues to win and win as God continues to give him victory. And so Saul begins to get jealous. And he decides that he's going to try to get rid of David and that he is going to try to have him killed. Saul, just as a quick aside, is an example of personal insecurity. As soon as David became a threat to his control and his power and his position, then he sought to get rid of him. Desperate, insecure people have a very difficult time with deep and great relationships because they compare all the time and they are constantly threatened. But notice how Jonathan responds. If you flip to 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 through 5, we see the response. David is being hunted by Saul, and yet the relationship between Jonathan and David remains. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 19 says this, And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants and they, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against the servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, when, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Jonathan comes to his defense, and he deals with what's going on between Saul and David. I like Proverbs 27, verses 5 through 6. It says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the words of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. They dealt with this issue that was going on, this circumstance, head on. And so this really is the third principle, and that is to be honest. To be honest. To share the last 10%. You know, a lot of us are really good at sharing a certain amount of our life. And then there's a certain amount that we just want to hold back. And it, sometimes we can do this even with our spouse and it can really create problems. But even with other people, we are invited to be all in with other people. To be completely honest. And this was the thing is that Jonathan was being completely honest with his friend David. He was putting him in a position to fully understand the depth of what was, what was facing him. When you and I find someone who tells some really hard truth, and maybe it hurts our feelings, and our initial reaction is to want to reject them, to maybe get angry and get mad, then maybe, or probably, 
you've just met one of your very best friends. Because that's what friends do. Friends come and they share hard truth. They, they warn, they protect, they look out for your best interests even when you don't see it yourself. And so it continues and Saul sends the SWAT team after David, right? The secret service. Look at chapter 20 verses 1 through 4. It says, Then David fled from north to Ramna and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. It's amazing, I think, what happens in this relationship, isn't it? So not only does Jonathan go to him and tell him the truth and is honest about the peril that he is facing, but then when it continues and David is being hunted, Jonathan stands with him. You know, I wonder what happens to your friendships when two stories come out. You know, what do you do and where do you go? Who do you believe? Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. It's this idea that we love one another deeply and through anything, no matter what may, be, what may happen. And so really, this is the fourth essential, right? Is that we need to be available. When crisis comes, friends arrive. Friends arrive. Isn't that true? You know, there is something deeply significant to be said that when tragedy or turmoil hits in your life, it reveals the true nature of your relationships. Because oftentimes when things get hard and when things get messy and when things get really difficult, people will walk away. People will abandon. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to get their fingers dirty. They don't want to be around it. They don't want to be associated with something that they perceive to be a problem. But the reality is, is that when crisis comes, real friends will arrive. Crisis will often reveal who your true friends are. When a crisis comes, there will always be a cost. When crisis comes, there will be a sacrifice. But when crisis comes, true friends will show up and ask this question. They will say, what can I do? What can I do? I remember early on, uh, I moved to Texas and was attending seminary uh, down in Dallas and uh, got myself into a, a little bit of a trouble early on when I was there. And uh, I, on a Sunday, had been given a recommendation some, from some friends uh, to check out a new church that was in Dallas. And I was, you know, we were looking. And, uh, and so we went to this church and visited uh, met the, the pastor that was there, one of the pastors that was on staff at the church, um, and just met them real kind of briefly. And I, I remember like one of the first things that happened when we were there is, you know, that we, you know, we're 
kind of ending things in the service. And, and the pastor said, well, why don't you come over to my house for lunch? And I was like, what, what, what are you doing? Like, wh- why would you even suggest something like that? And I was kind of thrown back. And we went over there and had lunch with some other people as well. And it was really good. But it was, you know, it was just brief. We were just kind of getting to know people. Uh, later that week, I was uh, coming home from work. And um, I, it's, it's a whole story, but uh, basically I got mugged and beat up and my cars got stolen and just kind of left on the side of the road. And um, so I, you know, the police came and, you know, did nothing. And I mean, they did their job. I shouldn't say that, but like they weren't able to do anything really. And so I went back home and, um, you know, I just am sitting in my apartment. I've been in Dallas uh, for just maybe two and a half, three weeks at that point. And I, I didn't know where to go, who to call, who to talk to. I didn't know anything. Uh, but one of the pastors that was on staff there that had invited me to lunch also worked at the seminary. And so I, uh, I, yeah, I just didn't know what to do. And so I just walked over to his office. And, uh, you know, he immediately invited me in. I sat down with him and sort of explained the scenario of what happened. And, you know, right away, he just basically pulled out his keys handed me the keys to his car and said, here, you know, we had one car. You're going to need to be able to get back and forth to work and do, you know, do different things. And, uh, you know, he was on the phone making arrangements. You know, there was just a whole list of things that he did. And I remember sitting back and kind of reflecting on that. And I was thinking, you know, I barely know this guy. Like, I've, you know, I haven't been tithing at his church. I haven't been attending the church I, I don't have some type of uh, real significant outside connection, and yet there was a need, and he showed up, and that was meaningful to me and to my family. When we have covenant friends, then we have real friends, and real friends are available when, they, when we need them. Well, the story of David kind of goes on, and as you know, things get even more scary for David and uh, there's uh, this whole back and forth that kind of is going on between him and Saul. But listen to what it says. If you look in chapter 20, verses 16 and 17, their relationship becomes even stronger. It says, And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. Now think about what Jonathan is saying there. The Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. Who are David's enemies? It's Jonathan's family. It's Jonathan's father. It's Jonathan, Jonathan's uh, future, really, the throne that is become enemies with David. And Jonathan, it says, made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Again, it's speaking of the deep nature of connection and commitment and covenant that existed between the two of them. And so what we see here is that David and Jonathan, Jonathan was loyal to David. Loyal in the sense that he was even willing to give up what was rightfully his own. Real friends don't shrink back when things heat up. Real friends never tell you that sin is okay, but they are there for you as you seek to correct it. It's often been said, or, you know, I've heard a few different places it's being said different ways, but, you know, a lot of times life gets messy and life is hard, 
But when it comes to the church, we don't always do a good job of responding to that. And so uh, sometimes you'll hear people say that the church shoots their wounded. And I think that that can be true. I don't think it's always true. I don't think it's the majority of the situations. But a lot of times, the church is quick to shoot those, not literally, but to sort of ostracize and to push out and to sort of distance themselves from people that are going through difficult things. Yeah, even sin issues. So the question is, is when somebody, another believer is in sin, what do we do? Do we step in? Do we lean in? Do we walk into those situations and try to be there for those people? Or do we distance ourselves and separate for our own benefit, for our own resources, for our own reputation? It's not what Jonathan did. Jonathan and David realized that David needed to flee for his life. And Jonathan was loyal through it all. Well, if you skip down to 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 40 and 41, we pick up there and it says this. It says, starting in verse 40, And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and they wept with one another David weeping the most. And of course, you know the story behind this, right? That Saul is using this as a way uh, to shoot arrows to tell David that he is, his life is still in danger. And so when the boy leaves, uh, David comes out and they have uh, this embrace. And what we see here is an example of what it means to be vulnerable. Being vulnerable means that we refuse to let fear or pride limit our relationships. They cried. So I'm not the only one. (laughs) They embraced. They verbalized how much they cared for each other. They allowed their emotions to be expressed. Vulnerability is basically taking off a layer appropriately, wisely, with safe people at the right time and in the right way, right? So you want to be careful, right? We we don't want to just be vulnerable too much with the wrong people in the wrong situations. There's a time and a place. But in authentic community, there are deep relationships that call us to be vulnerable, that call us to express how we feel. And, And oftentimes in our culture, we see that as being a mark of weakness, But really, it's a mark of authenticity, of genuineness in relationship. And so that's what they do here. They embrace, they weep with one another, and they care for one another deeply. There is a vulnerability that is at the heart of their relationship. And so David is running for his life. He's dodging spears. He's hiding in caves. He's living on God's promise that he was one day to be king. And then we see in chapter 23, if you flip over a couple more chapters, I want to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 15 through 18. Chapter 23, verse 15, this is what it says. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Zip and Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of, my Saul, of Saul, my father, shall not find you. 
You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. What a cool picture where they come together and once again make another covenant to one another. Proverbs uh, 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That God uses each of our relationships to sharpen us. And so we see the seventh and the final principle in this, and that is that we should be spiritual. That we have a responsibility to help with one another's journey of true spirituality in, in every way, in every day. It's part of the relationship, the, the covenant, the, the trust that is built there to help one another trust God, help to obey his word, help to do the right things, help them to realize that it's God that's in control, help them to realize that it's God who is going to come through. And that is the goal of the friendship. The goal of the friendship is not just having good food. The goal of the friendship is not just, you know, a win with your sports team. The goal of the friendship is not to just sit around and talk about the events of our lives. But the goal of the friendship is to have covenant relationship that draws one another closer to Christ. You know, there are some relationships that are very public and some relationships that are very private. But God works in all of those. And so I think sometimes, you know, we can overlook uh, those one-on-one relationships. There's a lot of events, especially like as a church that we participate in. And we have things like the Family Fest and we have, uh, you know, different Bible studies that we participate in and different service projects. And all of those things are good. But what is also equally meaningful is the deep one-on-one connections that take place between individuals that are oftentimes not really public, that are not really seen. For example, we have a ministry of visitation and encouragement to the lonely or the shut-in brothers and sisters, and it can be a group that is often overlooked. And so we recently presented at Riverside a new visitation ministry. And and I'm just telling you that as pastors, as elders, as leaders, uh, this is a ministry that is very important to us. And it's important to us as leaders because we recognize the importance and the value of these one-on-one relationships. And some of us will be called by God to be part of that special team and to Uh, contribute to that and so we just encourage you with that if God is putting that in your heart what a great opportunity to build deeper meaningful relationships with people that really need it and that are really looking for it and so you and I have an opportunity to glorify God by letting others know when we are hurting and when we have needs we can serve God by serving especially those uh, that are underrepresented or have unspoken needs among us. And, you know, that's something that we really want to encourage and something that we really value. Um, I've had some opportunity in my life in the past to be involved um, with elderly uh, people that have been in assisted living and memory care communities. And uh, it is just a great opportunity to build relationships And I'm thankful for some of the relationships that I built with people, people that were 
um, a little bit older than me, people that had uh, just a really different uh, experience and season of life. And yet, God uses those relationships uh, to encourage and to grow both of us. And, and so let me just say that. We encourage uh, the whole body of Christ, the whole body here at Riverside, uh, to be caring for one another so that no one is left out of the body of Christ here at Riverside because relationships, authentic community matters to God. And so let me sort of just conclude with a couple of thoughts uh, to summarize these seven essential principles and to kind of highlight some thoughts. David and Jonathan's covenant with God was the basis for their devotion to one another. It was not that they had some relationship together the basis of their relationship was their devotion to God. It wasn't that they had something sexual going on. It was that their commitment to the one true God was the most important thing in their lives. And that drew them together. In the same way, Jesus' love was and is the basis of community with the triune God. John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. See, what's interesting here is that Jesus didn't come and die on the cross for our sins and for the salvation of the world so that he could appease the Father. It was part of the will of the Father, but it was not for the purpose of just doing right by the Father. It came out of the relationship that he had with the Father, that because of his relationship with the Father, he desired to surrender and obey the will of God, even to lay down his life as a sacrifice for all. People with a shallow relationship with God will often have shallow relationships with people. And maybe you're somebody in here this morning that has wrestled with this and you have seen some brokenness in relationships and not just in one, but in many relationships over the course of your life. The, the, the key is to not look at what went wrong in those relationships, but to look at what is going right in your relationship with God. Are you engaging in a relationship that is dynamic and healthy and desperate for the Lord? that causes you to surrender everything that you have to him, that causes you to separate yourself from the world and to see yourself good, bad, and ugly the way that God sees you and to live in the embrace of his unconditional love that then can be poured out onto the relationships around you. Jonathan and David's relationship reveals that authentic community occurs when the real you meets real needs for the right reason, the right way. Let me say that again. Authentic community happens when the real you meets real needs for the right reason, the right way. 
See, sometimes we can go about it and we can just be dis, just in, disingenuous and not being genuine. It's not the real you. Or maybe we're just out there spinning our wheels and we're not actually meeting real needs. We're just doing things that maybe will look like we're serving, but we're not actually addressing what the real need is. Or maybe we're doing it for the wrong reason. We're doing it so that we get the praise, so that we get the glory, so that everybody will stand up and say, what a good job. And we're doing it for the wrong reasons. Or maybe we're just doing it the wrong way. Maybe we're not pushing and encouraging the, the people in our lives to do things the way scripture tells us to do things, the way scripture tells us to engage the world around us. And so this is what it is. This is what it means. It's not an easy thing, but it's a worthwhile thing. Authentic community requires the real you meets real needs for the right reason, the right way. And so let's look at this one last time. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 13 says this, let love be without hypocrisy, be real, to be authentic, not perfect, authentic. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not with disdain, not with malice, not with whatever, you know, that's fine, but with honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. When we look at these verses, what would it look like for you and I to have a friend that did that? What would it look like for you to have a friend that would give preference to you, that would be quick to to uh, walk out the spirit and to serve the Lord and to rejoice in hope and to persevere in tribulation, to be devoted to praying for you, to contributing to the needs that you have and to be hospitable. I think that that is all a friendship that all of us would desire and want for our own lives. See, authentic community is at the core of Christianity. It is the public display of the right relationship with the Heavenly Father, with a separation of the world system, with a correct understanding of who we are. All of that is on display as we love one another. John 17, 21 says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so here's the question for us is, how can you and I experience authentic community? How do we do it? Well, let me just give you three quick things. One is for us to get connected in a spiritually positive relational environment. That means that we are going to be aware and we're going to be intentional. And so we're going to get connected. Maybe that's, for some of us, that's where we need to start. We're not connected. We've been comfortable kind of living on the outside but we want to get connected in a spiritually positive relational environment. Secondly, we want to go deeper with one or two people. It doesn't have to be everybody, but is there one or two people that God wants you to go deeper with? And don't rule people out because they don't seem like they're a good fit. Think about who God has brought into your life. Think about who it is that God has created opportunity with. And then go deeper. Be honest. Be available. Be loyal. That's what it means to go deeper in relationship. And then third is to share and pray about a significant struggle or fear in your life with a safe person. 
And this is what it looks like to be vulnerable and to be spiritual. We have to be willing to actually be real and to get to the bottom of things. We can talk about authentic community and deep relationships all we want. In relationships, our loneliness is solved and we'll walk with God and we'll be happier and it fills our emotional tank in life and it's not just to do more fun things with people, but it's to be connected with people and to experience love, the love of the Father through other people. And all of that is, is awesome. It's, it's all good. But it's not the most important reason. The most important reason is the gospel's credibility and legitimacy. Authentic community speaks specifically to the gospel and its credibility and legitimacy. According to Jesus, our credibility as fathers, or of, uh, sorry, as followers, is based on how well we love one another. And the world has every right to say, I don't believe that Jesus is God, that he came to forgive sins, if his followers don't love each other the way that he loved them. It is a picture of the gospel. One person said it this way. He said, Jesus never came to start a religious institution to have buildings built all over the globe. And there's nothing wrong with these things, but the church isn't to be defined by these things. It's been true of every age and every generation, where they have buildings or not, whether they use stained glass or electric guitars, whether they did it in robes or whether they hid in caves. When people radically, sacrificially love one another with vulnerability and honesty and loyalty and commitment, as unto the Lord, the world steps back and says, the gospel is true. And I think that that is true as well. It comes out of relationship. If we want to have deep and meaningful relationships that are hard and messy but healthy, then it comes out of our relationship with God. You know, sometimes when people are getting married, you know, I'll tell them, you know, before you start thinking, or, you know, they're thinking about getting married, I'll, you know, maybe dating, I'll tell them, you know, that before you start thinking about, you know, what is the right spouse that you should be looking for, you need to start thinking about whether or not you're the right husband, you know, or wife. That doesn't really apply to me. But, you know, that, that's, that's the truth, though, right? Is that you, you want to be the right person for who God brings into your life. And I think the same thing is true for authentic community. It's not just about finding the right friends and the right support and the right people that can be there for you when you need them. It's about being that for other people. And then God will bring those people into your life when you need them as well. And people mess up. And people make mistakes. And people have faults. And people are messy. And people just say dumb things. They say mean things. They say hurtful things. They say things that aren't true. They say things that, that just kind of set us off. They, they say things that make no sense. But God wants us to press in, to not abandon these opportunities, but to look for genuine, authentic community. 
I think that there are lots of opportunities for that here at Riverside. And I'm thankful for the relationships that I have. I'm thankful for the relationships that I see that other people have as well. And I just pray that those relationships would continue. And if you're new here at Riverside, and that's something that you're looking for, is beyond the services and the programs, you're looking for deep and meaningful relationships that are authentic and genuine. Not perfect, but authentic. Then I think, if you'll allow me to say so, that you're in the right place. And we welcome you with us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning and your word once again. And God, we just acknowledge that all truth is your truth. And so God, we just want, God, you to speak to our hearts. God, wipe away the things that are not from you and God, allow us to carry forward with the things that are from you. God, I pray for those that are in this room that are just in the midst of it, that are struggling with loneliness. God, there is a void and a gap that they long for. And and that longing has different reasons and it probably looks different ways for different people. But God, we know that you desire authentic community. And so God, for these people, I pray that you would just bring people into their lives that can be the love of Christ for them, that they can come along and support them in the good and in the bad, in the lonely, in the hard, and in the times of rejoicing and joy as well. But God, for each of us, we pray that you would begin the work in us, God, that this call of desperation and heart alignment to you, God, that we would be right with you, God, that we would Uh, just be people that would love one another well. God, that we would desire to love one another well. God, that we would be willing to put aside our own preferences, our own ideas of what friendship ought to look like, of what community ought to look like. And God, that we would embrace biblical, authentic community. And God, for Riverside, I pray that this would be a place that is not filled with a bunch of perfect people, but God, that it would be a place that would be authentic and genuine relationships, deep, vulnerable, and spiritual relationships, encouraging and praying for one another, urging one another on in our relationship with you. God, people that would walk with us through our journey of true spirituality. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.